Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everybody in between. We are indeed. Um, ben, I've got to start with a kind of a confession, really, for this before we get into the episode. Maybe if it's that bad, you don't need to do it on air. Well, I, I, I nearly didn't do it on air, but <laughs> okay. I, I think it does have relevance. So, All right. Do you remember last week I said that I'd looked out of my bedroom window, saw a dusting of snow? Dusting of snow, yes, that's right. And then the temperature had stayed well below freezing, and then I woke up in the morning and all the snow was gone, and I was like, how does that work? Could somebody kind of inform me how yeah. it works? Well, I, I've got a solution to my problem. Okay. So the next night, I woke up in the middle of the night and thought, ooh, I'll have a look out the window. Oh, my God, dusting of snow. Oh, Oh. Then I looked a bit more closely. What it was, was the ground, all the rooftops, everything was covered in ice. The moon was really strong, reflecting off the ice, creating this illusion that it looked like a dusting of snow. I think you sort of proved one of um, the things that we often talk about. You can believe wholeheartedly what you saw, but maybe what you saw wasn't... Reality. What that was that's why yeah. I mentioned it because part of me just wanted to skirt over it and forget the whole <laughs> incident. But then I thought, yeah, I was, I, like you said, you know, you're out on a dark night, the moon's out there, you think you've seen something, but actually I saw something else. And because I was kind of half asleep, not really paying attention, my brain just went, oh look, there's a dusting of snow. Um. But it was only the next night when I worked out what the effect was: it was the moon and ice. See, that means that I have to do a follow-up because the following week I told everybody in the pub that I was speaking to, did you get a dust of your snow? And like, oh, Peter had one out, out near where he lives. And they were like, oh, well, it's a bit more rural than here. Maybe maybe that's why. So there's a whole group of people that I passed that wee on. snowed out their way. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was just Peter mistaking ice and the moonlight for snow. So oh. there you go. Um, this week's episode, Ben... Now, we had a chat the other week, and we basically agreed that we hadn't really talked about witches on the podcast in a great deal. We haven't. Detail. Uh, and I was thinking about this, and I, I thought it's probably because it's such a huge topic. You know, it's hard to know where to start, right? And we talked about getting a witch on the podcast or a historian who's an expert, yeah. which I think maybe we should do that in the new year, but we're not going to do that today. Okay. What we did agree between ourselves, me and Ben, was that I should maybe go and start by doing a bit of research and trying to do a little potted history of witchcraft. So I went away to start that, but in true quantum mechanics style, I abandoned it uh, and took a different approach because I started by reading an academic paper instead. (laughs) (laughs) About Assuming it's about witches. Yeah, we'll get onto that in a minute. But what I thought I would start with is maybe at least share some of the early research that I did into witchcraft. And I've divided this into kind of two sections, facts and misconceptions about Mm, witchcraft mm -hmm. so this is not going to be detail or a cover-all it's literally where i got in my research before i got distracted with this paper i'm betting i don't know much about witches but i'm betting not as many of them were persecuted as we think they were well i guess it depends how many you think but we'll get on to that okay let's start with some facts witches did ride on broomsticks 
kind of. Oh. Kind of. It's believed that the trope of a witch riding a broomstick stems from witches experimenting with herbs and potions, especially the mildly hallucinogenic mandrake plant. Mandrake ointment would be spread on a witch's foreheads, wrists and hands. But in order to, how do I phrase this, let's say, reach the parts other ointments couldn't reach... Ah, take it the French way. ...the witches would straddle a stick coated in mandrake ointment. Hence, they kind of rode a broomstick. That, that does make a lot of sense. Although, who was who, who was watching them to go, she's riding a broops? I'll make a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are other theories that it, it's some kind of statement about, you know, rebelling against domestic chores of sweeping up and yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff, which... Uh, I mean, that might be a good kind of metaphor or something to use for it. But, yeah, from my research, it looked like it, it did. Maybe it stemmed from this idea of putting ointment on a stick and literally riding it. That is so interesting. Sorry, I'm giggling now. I just can't help thinking Harry Potter would have been a very different <laughs> yeah, yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't show that, did they, in the film? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I'm making my own jokes up now. Yeah, yeah. The Nimbus yeah. 2000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give Takes it a good wash. Really does. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> no, I went off on my own thought thing. No, there. no, yeah, I yeah. can see why you went off in your own in your own direction there. So, as I was saying, that the hysteria and persecution of witches. Um, started or at least was hyped up by a 15th century equivalent of an academic paper. <laughs> oh, wow. The book was written by two clergymen of the Dom Dominican order, Jacob Sprenger, who was the dean of the University of Cologne, and Henrich Kramer, theology professor at the University of Salzburg. The text became a kind of go-to manual for witch hunters and uh, leans heavily... You can see what how it works. It leans heavily on the quote from the Bible, Exodus twenty two eighteen: "You shall not permit a sorceress to live." Uh, yes. Now, in terms of numbers, you referred to that uh, a minute ago. You cannot underestimate the hysteria this document caused. It is estimated that eighty thousand suspected witches were put to death between fifteen hundred and sixteen sixty. Okay, I take back what I said at the beginning. That is way more than I thought were persecuted. Yeah, really big, right? 80,000. 80,000 in a 160-year period between 1500 and 1660. Now, because you don't have a theology degree, I don't expect you to have a good answer for this, but in the Bible where it says you've got, what do you say, kill a sorceress? Yeah, you can't let a sorceress live. That's presumably a misinterpretation, surely. I, I, I would think so. Maybe the equivalent of looking out of your window and seeing a dusting of snow. <laughs> <laughs> and what about a sorcerer? Well, I'll come on to that, oh, actually. Oh, okay. that's, that's a good point. And a sorcerer. Yeah. I've got a question for you, though. What date do you think saw the last person convicted of witchcraft? In the UK or elsewhere? Uh, I th it was in the UK, but I think it is, you know, worldwide, but it was in the UK. I'm going to go maybe 17-something, 1784. Okay. I'm going to say 1784. Well, in fact, it was 1944. Oh, get out of town. No. no. A psychic medium from East London called Jane Rebecca York was convicted of witchcraft in 1944. 
Rather, what? yeah, rather than torture or execution, she was fined five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> that's still a lot of money. Yeah. So that's mid, well, towards the end of the Second World War. Yeah. What had she done? Uh, she was a psychic medium, and she'd been accused of ripping people off. And ah, so it was more to do with the fact that she was kind of making stuff up and this was the only law they could get her against. Exactly. It was a law oh. they could get her on. And uh, I believe probably something like, I haven't got the exact date um, in my notes, but I read that uh, maybe 10 or 15 years later, that law was completely repealed and taken off the books. Right. But it was on the books in 1944 and she was the last person to be convicted of witchcraft. I bet there would have been a lot of problems because men lost at war... People trying to offer solace. She was probably. It was construed exactly. that she was being being cruel because exactly. she was. Yeah, you got I it. See, that, I see. Yeah, that that was the basis of the trial that she was taking advantage of people who lost people. In no, the I war. see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on to some misconceptions around witchcraft. Now, one of the main misconceptions relating to witchcraft is one we've mentioned on the podcast before that though a large number of people were tried and executed as witches, the vast majority of witches were not burnt at the stake. Certainly none in the Salem witch trials. No, really? Yeah, so yeah, like there was hangings, there was stonings, there was yeah, other things, but very rare for a witch to be burnt at the stake. Okay. Now, no one quite knows where the word witch comes from, Origins for the words are as varied as the Old English word wissy, W-I-C-C-E, which means female sorceress. So I think that's probably a, a yeah, good bet. Yeah. Others believe its origin are from pagan, uh, the pagan religious word wicca, W-I-C-C-A. Yeah. Or it might come from a proto-Germanic word, I love this word, Wick jazz. Wick jazz. W I K K J A double Z. That's my favourite kind of what jazz. A great name, Wick jazz, <laughs> which means uh, necromancer. Does it? Wow. Yep. That's that's a great. That's a good pub quiz question, isn't it? What's that's the, a great pub quiz question. Wick jazz. I want. I want to use that in Scrabble because that would be a good score. It really would. It really would. Uh, another candidate for where the word witch comes from is an old English word for divination, wiggle. Wiggle, really? Wiggle. I, I was thinking, though, that puts a whole new light on that Aussie kids band, the Wiggles, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. <laughs> Hiding in plain sight. Yeah, there you go. The wiggly worm, that also has got connotations. Well, you mentioned this earlier, Ben, so I'm going to ask you the question. What is a male witch called? A warlock? You're going with Warlock. Well, a male witch was actually historically known as a witch. Oh, really? Yep. Many men were tried for witchcraft, but nowhere near the amount of women, but there were men tried for witchcraft, okay. and male witches were called witches. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. One of the common tropes relating to witch trials is one we all know. You put the suspect in water... Oh, yeah. If the person floats, they're a witch. If they drown, they're not. We've all heard that, right? <laughs> we have, yeah, the ducking chair or whatever, yeah. Well, apparently that is not quite true. If the person sunk, then on most occasions, the witch finder would pull them out of the water before they drowned. And let them go. 
yeah, because that would kind of prove that they were innocent. I guess it depends what other evidence is knocking around. But um, yes, they would, uh, on most occasions, apparently you would be pulled out of the water, not allowed to drown. There's a real problem with the logic, because if you're a witch, you just don't use your spells and go under the water. Yeah, yeah. And if you've got a little extra winter meat coat, like myself, which is a little more buoyant, (laughs) oh my God. You're in trouble. It's a fat witch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, Ben, that was my starting research in order to make an episode on the history of witchcraft, but as often happens with us, I got stuck into this academic paper, and that just, that was it. I shaped the rest of the episode. So the paper I'm going to discuss was written in 2019 by Deborah Moretti, an independent scholar from Leeds. I love her drink. The title of the paper. It's a good one. (laughs) Okay, have you warmed your tongue up to this? I've warmed my tongue. Angels or demons? Question mark. Interactions and borrowings between folk traditions, religion, and demonology in early modern Italian witchcraft trials. Nothing like specificity. Yeah, it's easy for you. I was, <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to focus on Italian witch trials of the 16th century, not necessarily because Italy was a hotbed of witch trial activity, although it was, but because of the records that were kept about those trials. Oh, right, okay, that's good. Now, as the author of the paper points out, there are archives that list the details of many witch trials around Europe, but what is unique about some of the Italian witch trials is not only do they have in detail the testimony from the trials, but also they note things like the gestures, silences and reactions to the proceedings. Oh, goodness. So the records go to a level of detail that's not just available in other records, down to the detail of people blushing at some of the testimony or accusations, which is amazing that that somebody logged this much detail. And the paper also points out that many witch trials can be heavily biased in terms of the records towards the witch hunter, the judges or the prosecutor's perspective. But because the Italian cases have got so much detail, you can kind of cut through that a little bit and maybe get a more balanced picture, which is amazing. So a bit like the CIA archives that we talked about on the podcast before, the Vatican opened its archives of the Holy Office in 1991 and released loads of papers to lots of things, but a lot to do with witch trials. It led to a wealth of detailed documents relating to these trials The cases the academic paper features and that we're going to talk about today come, this is just brilliant, come from the Inquisitions of Siena and cover a 200 year period between 1580 and 1780. That sounds, the Inquisitions of Siena. The Inquisitions of Siena. That sounds like a Brian Eno album. It does, doesn't it? And if you're thinking out there, this could be a bit academic or dry, trust me, stick with us. It's not, it's really fascinating. Now, Ben, earlier we talked about some of the misconceptions around witches and witchcraft, and what is striking is that getting access to the Siena Inquisition trials highlights some of those misconceptions. Witch hunters, certainly in that region of Italy, were mainly concerned with the damage a witch could inflict on others or the church. That was their priority. rather than any demonic aspects. Although they needed some level of demonic intention or presence to secure a solid conviction. 
and again, we'll come on to this, but what struck me with a lot of the uh, things that are featured in these papers is it wasn't just a five-minute thing and you were convicted or not convicted. The trials went on and did go into quite a lot of depth. Now, sometimes the outcome was uh, predictable, let's say, but they certainly went through a huge process. So they were trying to be rigorous about something that was mythical but that's you know that's of course they didn't believe it was mythical yeah yeah i mean maybe from my understanding of it i think it's more accurate to say they were trying to look rigorous i see maybe yes, than being right. rigorous so of the hundreds of cases listed in the siena files no one was accused of having a direct pact with the devil or a demon they were more accused of using spells that might need some demonic element in order to create them in terms of the tropes of witches, this is a kind of side point, but I thought it was interesting. You know that trope of witches gathering together to perform rituals? Mm. Uh, now, there were confessions by witches of attending demonic gatherings, which were known as Sabbaths or Sabbats. But from 81 trials carried out in Siena between 1580 and 1666, only nine confessed to taking part in such gatherings. Seven confessed only after being tortured. One later changed their confession after recovering. So only two spontaneously, without you know any coercion, confessed to taking part in some kind of witches gathering. Because again, that's a big trope, isn't it? They're all getting together, and you know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, many of the documented witch trials of other European countries, how can I put this? Can be quite heavy on the devil and demonic aspects. There's lots of copulation and cannibalism. Oh, is there? Yes. Goodness. But the general population in Italy, certainly in Siena, were more concerned about whether a witch could cause harm to children, their families, their animals or crops. So the demonic part of it wasn't so... It didn't seem that important to to the average person. It was more what effect this was having on their lives. There are five main categories that cases in the archive divide into... So I guess these are the charges that would be levelled against you, either one of these five or a combination. First one was love magic. Spells that will make someone fall in or out of love, also known as binding spells. Therapeutic or healing magic, kind of self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah. Divinatory magic, so that's second sight, premonition, helping people find missing or stolen items. Malevolent magic, I guess that's causing general bad harm or suffering, I guess, to someone. And the fifth one was invocation of the devil. Right. I guess you don't want that one. That's the one you definitely don't want. No. What I found incredibly sad and somewhat scary for anyone out there that is a little different or nonconformist or a free thinker or free spirit is the people, mainly women, who were charged with these crimes, seem to have been targeted because they have those attributes. Yeah, perhaps also, yeah, on the age of society. Yeah. um, Maybe trying some traditional healing methods. Living their life in a different way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to quote the paper, it says, it appears that the crime of malficium which is the practice of doing this, I guess, is a neighbourhood, quote-unquote, crime, a crime that will be attributed to those people who will not conform to the standardised, archetypical village behaviour. 
Right. Should we dive into one of the cases? Oh, yes, please. So this is a case from the Sienna Witch Trials files. <laughs> That's the first bit of a mouthful, was it? Sienna Witch Trial files. That's better. <laughs> now, the first case involves a wife who is upset at her husband's infidelity and blames this on spells put on him by witches. <laughs> right, yeah. Cut and dried. Yeah. So on the 16th of October, 1638, this disgruntled wife went to the Inquisition Tribunal in Siena and detailed her accusations. Now, her words are translated into modern English, but they are direct quotes. She says, Father, my husband is not giving me peace. He cannot stay with me and he does not want to see me, nor does he want to engage in any conjugal relations. All of this is caused by a connection he has with a certain woman called, name redacted. <laughs> Even today. And this woman, together with another name redacted, and Caterina Caponero. So her name's not redacted. Oh. I'll come on to that in a minute. The wife goes on. All three of them living in Siena in different locations and they are all known to be witches. They have put a spell on him and I know this because my husband himself told me when I complained of his ill behaviours towards me. <laughs> Good Lord. So she goes on to list the bad behaviours of her husband. I quote, He leaves me to go to dirty whores, making me suffer by treating them well. <laughs> He told me he cannot help himself. Every time he tries to cut this connection and leave them, he feels like dying, dying in his heart. He cannot live nor be at peace without them, and he is forced to go to them and do everything they tell him to do, and they make him run to them. Okay, sure. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, as you noticed, three women were mentioned or accused by the wife of witchcraft, but only one is named. Katharina. Yes, and I think this is because that was the one the wife basically had the biggest beef with and the one that was eventually tried. Oh, right, so the other two didn't come to trial. That's my understanding of it. It's not 100% clear, but why would you redact their names if they'd not, you know, gone through a trial? Because the, the papers are quite detailed. Right, right. So her name was Katharina Caponera. Caponero, the scorned wife accuses Caterina of providing love potions to her husband's lovers in order to bind him to them. She says, The woman mentioned above, name redacted, uses the help of Caterina called Caponero. She lives in Salicotto. She is more or less 50 years old and she is the one who does malfesia. Uh-huh. Now, this wife says she knows this, Ben, because she went to Katerina to help her to stop her husband straying. Oh, so... So she says, I can confirm that this Katerina practices malfesia as a while ago, lamenting to her that my husband doesn't want to see me, that he does not love me, he does not appreciate me, he beats me up and he never stays in the house with me, she, Katerina, said, leave it to me. I will make sure that your husband will not be able to be with a woman but you. After that, she told me that she had bound him. He sounds like quite the catch. He really does, doesn't he? 
The records go on to claim that Katerina is well known in the district for, I quote, practicing sorcery, love spells and magic bindings, also for keeping bad company, favouring prostitutes and ultimately being a woman of dubious and evil character, a loose woman. I bet she's got brilliant parties. You <laughs> bet, don't you think? I mean, isn't it a bit dangerous being well-known for this? Well, we'll come on to that, but basically, this is her business. But sooner or later, it's going to backfire, isn't it? Yeah, I guess, but, I mean, yeah, we'll come on to her circumstances, because yeah, it looks like she was a woman in her 50s, living on her own, trying to make a living. A cougar. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, and, and and at that time, being a woman living on your own, trying to make a living, was not a great thing. So maybe she didn't have a choice. I mean, she didn't live in a... From my research, she didn't live in a rich part of Siena. She lived in the area that was kind of a red-light district that was lots of poverty. A house made of gingerbread yeah, in yeah, the wood. Yeah. <laughs> so the academic paper explains that this description of the unmarried loose women is woman is very typical of people accused of witchcraft at the time. So a lot of people were accused of witchcraft with that description. I see. So from the documentation, it seems that the accused witch, Katerina, her most profitable, profitable work was indeed love magic. Either selling them to wives trying to get their husbands back or prostitutes trying to hold on to their profitable clients. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting, isn't it? So, and the wife in this case actually visited Katerina for her help in stopping her husband's infidelity. She says, To make sure that her work was a success and to make sure my husband would love me, she sold me a piece of white magnet. She told me to touch my husband with it and that I would keep it in my mouth while kissing him. Although Katerina Caponero sold the magnet to me, I never used it. I have heard from many people whose names I cannot remember um, that this woman, Katerina, keeps under the capazala of her bed many strings to buy men with and other things to make malfesia. The wife claims she did not use the spell because she found out from her husband that the same witch, Katerina, had sold a similar spell to the other woman he was sleeping with. Jeez. Which made... Like EastEnders. Yeah, and it made his spell bound to that witch, basically. Oh, I see, yeah, I see what she's saying, yeah. I, got, I, I kept thinking, though, Ben, that husband's got the gift of the gab, hasn't he? <laughs> well, he... wasn't me, I can't help it, it was the witch made me do it. <laughs> and she can cook. Yeah. So the wife goes to Katerina so she can cast a spell to stop her husband sleeping with prostitutes, the husband's wife doesn't use the spell but tells her husband about it and he says he knows Katerina is also selling the same spells to the woman he's sleeping with. I, I, he can't help himself, can he? He, he is he's weaving a terrible path here. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for the witch Katerina, it was not the only complaint made to the Holy Office about her. Eight years earlier, another wife had complained about Katerina. I mean, it's a similar story. This wife's husband had a habit of drinking and visiting prostitutes. His defence was that a witch had put a love spell on him and this meant he had no control over his behaviour. Right, OK. 
Now, an acquaintance of the wife in this case recommended she should seek the help of Katerina. And like the case before, this wife was sold a similar type of stone and kept to keep it in her mouth while kissing her husband. In this case, both the wife and Katerina, in her testimony, went into detail about how these types of spells worked. Even the cheating husband testified at the trial. He said he knew Katerina and he'd been in her house and Ben. He also seemed to have sought out her help. He says, Oh, God. I had experienced this sexual impediment, not only with my wife, but with other women as well. I couldn't do it with anybody but the above-mentioned woman, so Katerina, with whom I would eat and drink together, and was Katerina, of whom people said she was an enchantress. This is a while ago, but I do not remember who I talked to about this. <laughs> It was it was some some woman I can't remember I can't yeah, remember yeah. right so he's basically saying that he could only make things happen in the bedroom with Katerina yeah because she could cast spells on him but at the same time she was selling spells to his wife <laughs> wow I mean she's got a she's got a heck of a business going well, on well that's huh? what struck me Ben I I thought what a savvy businesswoman right yeah she was more of a scammer than a witch in a way. She was selling love spells to the husband, the wife, the prostitutes in the case, and possibly also sleeping with some of the husbands herself. Bit of kickback. It's incredible, isn't it? She now, sounds like she was having a whale of a time. Yeah. Well, she denied that she practised any kind of magic, telling the Inquisition, no, I cannot do it, sorcery on men, nor do I know anybody else to do any sorcery on men or women, so they cannot have intercourse. These things against me are all lies because this man and his wife have ill feelings towards me. As I have already said, I have been accused of performing a binding on a man, making his wife suffer. I told them, don't you think that if I knew how to bind him, I would have done it already so he would marry me instead of punishing me? Well, it's a fair fair point. Yeah, fair point. Probably not the strongest. Not the best argument, no. So her defence was basically she was just a healer and not a witch. That's, that was my understanding from reading it. And interestingly, this line of defence kind of works initially for Katerina. The Holy Inquisition couldn't pin demonic activity to the love potion charge, which was needed to make the charge stick. They had to prove that Katerina had put a spell on or demonised an object, so they decided to change tactic and they tried to nail her on a different type of charge instead. Is that charge of being irresistible? <laughs> well, they brought forth a new witness who claimed that Katerina had made her perform a blasphemous ritual involving holy water and a holy candle in order to find missing or stolen objects. So this changed the charge from love potions to divination. Oh, OK, that's interesting. So this witness claimed... I did it, the ceremony, one other time before that one, when I was a child of seven or eight years old. Caterina, called Caponero of Salicotta, made me do it. I would like to repent with all my heart in the presence of God, and I wish I could go back and undo what was done. And I asked the great penance, and I am bitter, and the holy office should punish that woman who taught me this. I have named her many times during the exam, she is Katerina. 
She lives in Siena in the neighbourhood of Salicotto, the parish of St Martin. She is a tertiary of St Francis. She made me do the carafe, which is the ceremony, for a woman called Clementia, who lives in Siena, and she made me, and she did not want me to tell about this to anybody, because I believe it was an evil thing. Now the witness goes on to say that while they were performing the ritual with Katerina, they saw black and white angels appear in holy water. So that gave the Inquisition some of the demonic angle that they needed because she's summoned some kind of demon. Oh, that's the, that's the thing, that's the angels? Yeah, the black angels being kind of the demonic ones. So she said oh. it was a mixture of kind of white angels, which, you know, holy angels and demonic angels. Dark demonic angels. Yeah. Other witnesses also claim that Katerina helped them perform rituals to receive lost or stolen property. Now, at first, Katerina denies all of this, but the trial, Ben, this is going to blow your mind, goes on for over nine years. Nine years? Yep. In which time Katerina's getting loads of stuff on the side. <laughs> well, unfortunately for her, during this time, she's placed in and out of prison. No. Yeah. That's so unfair. Yeah. And after what is described as, only says these words, threats from the Inquisitors, she kind of confesses in the end. <sighs> she says, Father, it is true that I did carafe for this woman, but I was young then and I did not have a brain. It was probably 22 or 23 years ago. I learnt it from a woman from Rome who is now dead. From her I heard the prayer. She was robbed of some things, so she did the experiment in a large group of young girls. We went to see her and there I heard this. She said it was, Jesus, Mary, make me find my stuff. I'm sure that's something might have got lost in translation there. <laughs> make uh, me find my stuff. Make me start my stuff. Uh, this is Jesus. You could be more specific, could you? <laughs> For now I cannot remember well, but I will think about it. Asked to explain in detail the experiment or spell of the carafe, Katerina said, I have done the experiment of the carafe and I did it this way. I prepared a carafe of holy water and I put it on an empty table. I put the carafe near the effigy of the Virgin Mary and I also took two leaves of holy olive and a holy candle. I lit the candle and I attached it to the table and then Agnes said, beautiful angel, white angel, holy angel, for your sanctity, for your purity, for my virginity, tell me the truth who did this, i.e. trying to find out who'd stolen her stuff. And above mentioned, the one who confronted me this morning at your lordship's bidding looked at the carafe and said those words many times. The above mentioned Agnes saw in the carafe the devil and I learned this experiment from a woman from Rome called Cecilia. Oh. Who isn't redacted. No. It's interesting, actually. So maybe that means they were convicted. I haven't really made that connection, but it's a good point. Or she's just not un, she's not identifiable because or they got dead, no surname. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or horny. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, Katerina's defence was, yes, she'd practised this ritual many years ago, but was led astray by an older woman. Later, she realised it was wrong. She'd never done it again, and she'd repented. That was her defence. Right, Okay. So in terms of her accusers, Katerina said she warned them it was sinful and not to perform the ritual, but they went ahead anyway. 
However, Ben, it was well known within the community that Katerina was a witch, at least in the sense that she did charge for her services in terms of love magic, divination and healing. Through spells and magic, basically, she kind of just made these spells and had this business going. The testimony of the witnesses who said they had performed the ritual with Katerina and this subsequent confession, especially detailing that they had summoned black angels was possi- and possibly the devil himself, was enough to secure, finally, a conviction against Katerina. Oh, I feel bad that she was convicted. Yeah. I mean, the bloke gets away scot-free, presumably. Oh, yeah, of course. That's just... Well, I've got another example in a minute which kind of highlights how unjust the whole thing is. That's awful. So what happens to her? Well, in terms of sentence or punishment uh, that she received, the record's not completely clear. However, there is a letter in the archives from uh, the Inquisitor of Rome to the main Inquisitor in Siena. The letter is dated... 24th of February, 1647, and it suggests a course of action. The letter says, Reverend Father, you must submit Caterina Caponero to more torture. If she keeps to her ways, she must be flogged without taking into consideration the unmarried niece. The letter goes on to talk about the woman who, that testified against Caterina. So I guess the unmarried niece is her who taught them the spell. So that's Agnes. It says Agnes must stay inter, excuse my pronunciation, Missarium Solemnia, uh, which was basically performing a solemn mass. She must do this at the church door with a lit candle in her hand and must abjure de Levi, which is swear their loyalty to the church in secret, which is quite important. Oh. Clementia and Maria, the other witnesses against Caterina, must be charged with... Ad- Ugh, why, why are these words so tough? Must be charged with admonitions and beneficial penance. This is what the Council of the Holy Office has agreed upon. May God keep you. So Caterina was found guilty on these charges of divination and it seems that her punishment was more torture and flogging and imprisonment, basically. (sighs) The three women who testified against her, who also confessed to taking part in the rituals, had to perform or take part in a mass and declare their devotion to God. But in secret, and this is an important thing, some of these, within the papers, some of these were in secret and some of these weren't. And basically they were in secret not to cause a fuss or bad publicity for the church. Oh, oh, I see. So it wouldn't, the word wouldn't get around. So the, the others who testified against her, I guess, were almost given immunity from prosecution. They had to serve some penance, but they wanted to keep all that pretty quiet. And meantime, poor Katerina bears the brunt of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I think is fascinating, apart from the amount of detail about the trial are the themes that this academic paper authored by Deborah Moretti explores. Firstly, the fact that witches were embedded within the community and they were providing services in healing, love magic and divination. You know, in Katerina's case, sometimes to all sides of the love triangle, right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, why would the community... Well, they didn't turn on a... 
one man did. So yeah, so, so that seems. I think you've you've nailed it. So you know, there is this thing that witches or healers were outside the norm of acceptable behaviour, especially for women at that time. So they were at risk if one of their clients took umbrage at their methods or results. And I think that's what's happened with these cases. I guess, you know, she was also thrown under the bus by others in order that they weren't punished. So you've got a disgruntled wife who's not blaming her husband, but then obviously blames Katerina. I don't know whether, you know, whether she was sleeping with the husband or not. It sounds like they were maybe having an affair, but she wasn't doing what he wanted. And no. I mean, when you think about witch trials, there is this connection between the oppression of and the power imbalance between men and women at the definitely, time. Definitely, definitely. Uh, and like you, what really struck me in this case was how the husband in the love triangle seemed to suffer no consequences for not being able to keep their holy candle in their trousers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing, right? Yet Katerina was up in front of the Holy Inquisition for selling a love potion which ended up with being her tortured and imprisoned for over nine years and then found guilty, more torture, more imprisonment and more flogging. Handed out by men yeah. in the church. And, and go on. I was going to say, I do know of a case, and I'm racking my brains for the name of the person, but um, it was in the UK in, the, in that pit time period and she was the sole benefactor of her father's will and her brothers tried to extract the land off her by accusing her of witchcraft because oh, really? it was the only way. Right. And it didn't go down well. She she got all, she got all the land. Okay. And they didn't succeed. But that was what they turned to. It was like, oh, well, if everything else fails, she's a witch. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, Katerina was selling love potions and doing this thing. But, you know, so I guess she she was taking a risk and it, and it didn't pay off. But this imbalance between the treatment of men and women was really highlighted in another case in the Vatican Holy Archives. I'm not going to go into great detail, but it was a case where two witches were asked, or more accurately commissioned, by friars at a monastery to perform a divination spell in order to recover some items that had been stolen. So these two monks Whoa. brought in the witches, right? Talk about two-faced. The women were subsequently hauled up in front of the Inquisition and found guilty of witchcraft. The friars at the monastery, they basically got a slap on the wrist and some stern words from the church, even though they were the ones who'd asked the women to do it in the first place. That is awful. I mean, terrible, right? And again, you can see why they had some of these these, uh, sentences, especially for people like the friars in that, in secret, because you don't want that coming out, do you? No, but isn't there a saint of lost things? I mean, surely these witches, why do they think they're channeling bad entities? Can they not be channeling good entities? Well, I guess that, yeah, exactly. Well, I guess any sort of... Sorcery. Sorcery or supernatural activity. I mean, that's that, I guess, if you're being cold about it, especially at that point. It makes me really angry because is a priest not a source of a sorcerer? Well, but that was going to be my point. You want to keep that for yourself, right? Yeah. You don't want everybody being able to do it, do you? You know what I mean? It's I like, can speak to God, but you can't speak to anybody. Exactly, because it wouldn't work. That's how it works. <sighs> yeah, it? I hadn't thought of it that way. So I hadn't ter- thought of it that way. In terms of Katerina's trial, I also came away thinking that rather than necessarily having magical 
demonic powers, she was more a bit of a scam or hustler. You know what I mean? She was yeah. just making ends meet and surviving in the harsh environment of Siena in the 1600s. Um, if she could sell the same potion to the wife, the husband and his lover, why not? Right, Right. why not? Exactly. <laughs> and, and then I start... The other thing that kind of struck me at that point is, in a way, these kind of hustles still go on today. Yeah, I mean, not to do, I'm not degrading anyone's beliefs or those who believe that they are genuinely helping people because we know we've talked to people out there who, yeah, yeah. you know, do this kind of stuff, either mediums or witches. But I know that, as, as has happened when we have posted other episodes like this one on Facebook, I guarantee you, Ben, someone will stick a comment, a scammy post that says something like, my husband left me for another woman and I contacted this person who for $100 cast a spell and within a few days my husband was back. You know, contact X on the link or call him on this number. Right. You know, when on our social media I come across those kind yeah. of added to the comments of our episodes just kind of report and delete them. And And I guess I'd say to people, if you do believe that this kind of thing works and you want to try it, do your research rather than just clicking randomly on Facebook links. As as with all things, if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. So, but it did strike me that, in a way, Katerina was a bit of a scam artist or hustler. It seems to me, but that doesn't mean she should be flogged, imprisoned, and tortured. Do you know what I mean? No, no, and. I mean, it's very different to how I imagined the interrogation would go. It's like they had to find... Once they'd got her, they knew they had to get her with something, Mm. but they couldn't get her for going after the husband. They had to get her for doing something, you know, divination. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, a very different lesson at Hogwarts. Yeah, really, yeah, divination in that sense. But, you know, I think the other fascinating thing for me about reading the papers and digging into the trials a bit more is you almost do have a kind of idealised or preconceived movie version of what witches and witch trials might be like. You know, there's either a supernatural narrative or kind of, you know, you do get obviously movies that focus on the kind of oppression of women and and whatever. But what reading it kind of put me almost there in Siena at that time. You know what I mean? You had people who went to these, uh, you know, quote-unquote witches for help. You know, they were providing a service to people. You had the church that was kind of not sure this should be going on. But it wasn't really about, you know, riding on broomsticks or supernatural powers. It was more practical than that in a way. And that when things either went wrong or somebody had a bit of a beef with you, you were at risk of being accused of a witch. You go to trial. In order for the church to make that stick, they have to have some kind of demonic element. And if you don't provide that yourselves, they'll find somebody who will provide it, you know, a witness who will. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to check out the full paper, which I must say I found fascinating, so uh, do consider it. If you do a Google search, it's out there on the internet. It's called Angels or Demons, Interactions and Borrowings Between Folk Traditions, 
religions and demonology in early modern Italian witchcraft trials. You're just showing off by saying it twice. <laughs> I know. The author is Deborah Moretti. That's M-O-R-E-T-T-I. Fascinating. That is uh, really good. Thank uh, you. And it made me think um, might be worth going back through the files. Although it says in the paper the files were released in 1991 to 1998. So I, I don't know if that implies that they maybe are not accessible anymore, that it was only for a few years they were accessible, unless there were two or, or sets that, of releases. They, they were just going through the, that period of going through the archives and releasing. Yeah, know. yeah. Yeah, fascinating. And, um, yeah, I've I've often thought that Italy would be a hotbed of uh, witchcraft, having owned a lot of Fiat's. <laughs> quite often yeah. they're held together with witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. so or or Alfa Romeo's. That's, that is the devil. <laughs> yeah, that's the devil's car. Oh, you, you can't resist them, but then when you get one, my yeah, God, yeah. yes. You wouldn't, need, you wouldn't need your Alfa Romeo to confess. It would just literally break down in the dock. Uh, <laughs> we, have we both, we've both had one, haven't we? I, no, I've never had an Alfa Romeo. I know that's a that's, that's poor thing for a, a petrol head to say, but no, I've never owned one. See, Alfa I had one, and, and my partner described it as the other woman when we had it because right. I just I loved it so much. I used to go out before I went to bed and have a look at it sometimes when I first got it. What what what, what did you have? I had a one, uh, the 2.4 petrol uh, 159. Oh, lovely. Oh, good-looking car. Oh, it was absolutely beautiful yeah. in midnight blue. But it broke down. Um, well, I was going to say, you used to go out at night and have a look at it because it wasn't going anywhere, was it? <laughs> I once took... Rachel on holiday to Ireland and we went to half the Alpha dealers. I'm not even joking. I think Ireland has 13 Alpha dealers and we went to seven because it broke <laughs> down it every broke day. Down every day it yeah, broke down. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Never mind. Um, I don't have one of those now. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, I know it's not quite the episode on witchcraft that we were going to kick off with, but I just found those trials so interesting that I'm glad I did kind of deviate from just a kind of historical summary of witches, don't you think? Really good, really good. It wasn't what I was expecting at all. And I actually feel really sorry for the protagonist in there. And yes, yeah, no, you kind of, you almost built a picture of Katerina as this, you know, like you said, throwing a great party, trying to help people but also trying to scrape a, a living maybe in a slightly scammy way but you know I thought yeah you'd be real interesting character and also you know so determined and strong she didn't just cave at the first moment and confess to everything it took him nine years to get her it did and and the guy who was accusing her his wife admitted like casually that he was abusive yeah like he was hurting her yeah and yet he gets away with it i just can't i can't believe it yeah. i can't believe it yeah it's incredible well I, I certainly i think uh we've like we said we've not really done much on witchcraft we did a little bit you we did that thing where you put that kind of white witch spell on both of us which was fascinating oh yes yes that was good yes so, no she's she's no scammer um yes exactly and well we both had little financial things happen that yeah week. we did yeah um, I do think it is worth either getting a, a, a real-life witch or a historian uh, on the podcast to maybe go into more detail, because I'm now kind of fascinated on the reality of these witch trials rather than the kind of myth and, you know, almost uh, movie-esque 
narrative that we often associate around witchcraft. Yeah, perfect. Well, that's what we'll try and do for 24. Yeah, cool. Well, look, if you uh, like what we do, please um, leave us a review. It's really useful for us. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like what we do, if you go to patreon.com, so that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash TQM pod, become a Patreon, get our episodes early, ad free and some other bits and pieces on there. We I think we've got some exclusive content we might have coming out soon. Yeah. So um, worth checking us out and obviously that helps us keep the podcast going. And thank you all those who've done that for us this year we uh, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it and how much it touches us every single penny is going back into the show we can promise you that yeah definitely none of it is going on away with alfa romeo um and um, whether it's haunted or not (laughs) that thing was possessed i tell you um and it's very very good value if you if there's a paranormal lover in your life um, gift them a Patreon subscription to us and we will look after them yeah. for the year and um, hopefully this time next year you'll have an even better show because we'll have been able to put even more money into it yeah bind them to the quantum mechanics that's a point spells yeah. I hadn't thought about that I was thinking marketing yeah, no. and kit but spells yeah maybe we should put some money into that okay <laughs> okay <laughs> Uh, All right. I, I can't believe I was actually considering that for a minute. Well, maybe it's possible. Maybe it's possible. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, we will uh, catch you next week on the Quantum Mechanics. Next week for the Christmas episode. Yeah, jingle. I was going to say, is that copyright strike? But it's so old, it can't Nobody's copyrighted that. You can't sing Happy Birthday, but you can sing Jingle Bells. Okay. Well, I'm not going to now. I've changed my mind. Oh, fair um, enough. We'll see you for Christmas next week. Ho, ho, ho. Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics.